You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Sixers fans, the playoffs are finally here. Philly taking on the Toronto Raptors. Before we jump into things, don't forget, you can catch us on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We're going to be pretty much all anywhere you get your fix all the way throughout the playoff run, hoping it's a deep one. And of course, check out LibertyBallers.com. Two of the people behind the magic you see at Liberty Ballers joining me for this one, Mr. Paul Hudrick, also Jackson Frank. Fellas, let's start with this. Paul, throughout the entire season, as we got to the last couple of months, we were looking at this thinking, okay, who do we want the Sixers to play? And I'll be honest, from my Viewpoint, I was hoping it would either be Chicago or Cleveland. Ended up being a red-hot Raptors team. Paul, as soon as we got word and we saw Memphis getting its butt kicked by the Celtics, how did you feel right away when you found out it's going to be Raptors-Sixers in round one? Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> because, uh, as you mentioned, they're, you know since the All-Star break, this is one of the hottest teams in the NBA since they've kind of gotten uh, healthier. And not like... They're also they're not even 100% healthy um, still. Fred Van Vliet's still dealing with some stuff. Um, obviously, OG Ananobi has been kind of in and out of the lineup. But if those two guys um, are healthy and playing at full strength, this is a very deep, very long, very athletic, very dangerous basketball team. Um, and it only complicates matters that obviously Matisse Thibel will be ineligible for games three and four and a what feels like an inevitable uh, game six in Toronto. So... My first thought was, yeah, this is not only is this going to be a difficult series, there is plenty of potential that they could lose this series. Um, there really is. They could be a first round exit and a team that features Joel Embiid having an MVP season and James Harden. Uh, granted, maybe not, you know, a 100% healthy James Harden um, and an emerging Tyrese Maxey. Like the fact that this team could potentially be a first round exit. It's not good. Um, it, it's it's troubling to think about because if that happens, this offseason is just going to be littered with so many question marks from obviously the head coach who has taken a lot of heat. Some of it, I would say most of it's probably pretty justified. Um, and then from the roster construction, you're looking at Tobias Harris and his big contract and where do you kind of go from there with him? Uh, with Matisse Thibel, who is, you know, forgetting all of the, uh, you know, the, the unvaccinated situation and him not being able to play, still a flawed player in, in a lot of ways, but in, in an elite, elite defensive player and a special defensive player, but still an extremely flawed on the offensive side of the ball. So you have to kind of question where his fit is going forward. Um, and again, like, you know, Tyrese Maxey being so young, but playing at such a high level, but maybe not as consistently as you'd like. Where is he? Is he your third star? Is Darren Moore going to go ahead and try to get it? Like, it's just, if they lose the series, it just opens up so many questions for the offseason. So all of that came rushing to my head um, when we know for a fact that Toronto Raptors are the first round opponent. This is going, even if they win, 
This is going to be an ugly, ugly series. With that said, though, too, I will say the only easy, the only like the only two matchups I view as okay, like you know, the Milwaukee Bucks are gonna to me, I think are gonna slaughter the Bulls. I think that's gonna be a relatively e- easy series for them. I just think Milwaukee's just gonna really overmatch. They're overmatched, and then I would say Miami. You know, Miami if they get Cleveland or the Celtics if they get Cleveland, uh, depending how the playing game kind of shakes out. That could be, or you know, or one of the other play. If Charlotte happens to sneak through, or the Jekyll and Hyde Atlanta Hawks decide to just go on a two-game heater and sneak in, um, that could complicate things. But um, the East is going to be a bloodbath. It, it's there are a lot of very good basketball teams, and I don't know that anyone really fully has separated themselves. The Boston Celtics are playing about as well as anyone, and defensively, they are elite, 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 and that tends to play well in the playoffs very well, and they have. Plenty of offense to also complement that. So um, it's just it's it's going to be it's just going to be a, a really difficult series. And even if they make it out to the other side, it's going to be a grueling series. that's going to affect them as they try to navigate the rest of the East. Jackson, when when you saw that, and we did the podcast on on Saturday following the the, the Sixers game, and we were looking at this like, okay, we we're kind of certain it was going to be the Raptors, even though we didn't know at that point that the Grizzlies were going to throw out their B team on the court against the Celtics, and that one turned out to be ugly. But uh, from your perspective, as I've mentioned before, you watch a ton of basketball. Looking at the Raptors, what is the the number one key for the Sixers in this series, in your opinion, in order to get by a Toronto team that has a couple of All Star guys in Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet? Yeah, I think the the two main things to me are the Sixers have been switching a lot of stuff this year, um, large outside of Joel Embiid, and the Raptors are a team who two of their best scorers, and Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes, like to exploit mismatches with their size. And it's not, even if you play physically, they're really good playing through contact. And we saw that on full display when the Raptors came back to beat the Sixers on Thursday. Um, and then the other thing is the Sixers have been a pretty poor defensive rebounding team. Worse offensively, I think the numbers are right at the bottom of the league on the offensive glass, but still bottom 10 or 12 on the defensive glass. And the Raptors are first or second in offensive rebound. And they run a lot too when they force turnovers. And we know how poorly the, the Sixers transition defense has been, whether it's communication or just a lack of athleticism and ability to defend in space. Those have been issues. So um, beyond just the fact that you have to play a team that is playing much better than the sixth seed in the Bulls, it's a much worse matchup when you look at those three things. So um, those two I'm going to keep an eye on. I do wonder... Like, you know, the, that offensive rebounding has been so key to the Raptors having a pretty solid offense this year. Is that something that maybe you can scheme away a little bit when you have time to scout it and prepare for it? But I don't know, because the Sixers have gotten their butts kicked by it the last two times, and they've played twice in two weeks. You'd think that you would be a little more prepared, and it doesn't matter. Chris Boucher grabs seven rebounds in 14 minutes, and, and Ken Birch gets four of them, and Scotty Barnes sneaks in for a couple. And you'd think that you should probably box out more, and but that's been a thing all year, so... Um, those are the three big things to me is offensive rebounding, transition defense, and how can you slow uh, Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes. And I wonder how does a rookie like Scotty Barnes fare in the playoffs? I mean, I think he's obviously going to be a great, great player having a good year. Um, but there always is some, you know, you always worry a little bit about those young guys. I'm sure we're going to talk about Tyrese Maxey more in depth. And he's another young guy who's in a big role. So um, those are the three things that came to mind for me. And then also, like, where is Fred Van Vliet at, Fred Van Vliet at health-wise? Had such a big workload through the first half of the year was playing at an all-NBA level, still ended up being an all-star, but he's tapered off a little bit, missed some games, knee injury, had a huge minutes load. The shots come back to earth a little bit. Where is he at? Is he more of a top 50-ish guy, or is he at the top 20, 30 guy that we saw through the first 
you know, two thirds of the year. That's that's a huge thing. That's a huge difference, I think, between being an above average starter and being a, a borderline LNBA guy, which he's been the former for half the year and the latter since, you know, maybe some of the knee injuries started to unfortunately rise for him. Yeah, looking at this, and you mentioned that Jackson too, the offensive rebounding. The Sixers, not a very good rebounding team, finished second last in the, in the NBA overall in rebounds per game. The Raptors at 13.4, grabbed the second most offensive rebounds per game. And you look at those three losses, Paul, that the Sixers had against the Raptors during the regular season, out-rebounded by nine rebounds on average per, per those games. And that's been a huge issue for the Sixers. So now it's not a small sample size. We've seen it over 82 games that the Sixers mm-hmm. cannot rebound. <laughs> so Paul, in your opinion, when you're looking at that, how can the Sixers be able to maybe improve on that a little bit? Because the way I'm looking at it, and this is a bit old school where you're talking 90s and 2000s, whether that's jamming the outlet, trying to focus on, on stopping the transition through, through that and just getting people crashing the boards and making sure you're getting a body on people. And we've seen that a lot. The Sixers didn't have big guards, especially when Seth Curry was there with Tyrese Maxey in the back. Harden, a very good rebounder for, for a guard, but making sure they're at least getting bodies on, on these Raptors who interest is interesting. I was reading about, they have seven guys that are between six foot seven and six foot nine. So they don't have a ton of, they don't have a ton of size in terms of seven footers. And we think, you know, we'll jump into what Joel's going to be able to do against that lineup, but the Sixers have to worry about that. So in your opinion, what can Doc Rivers and the coaching staff do in order to try and mitigate that advantage for Toronto when it comes to the rebounding? Uh, pray. Uh, no, <laughs> I, it's and Jackson already hit on it. It's the Raptor, and you, you just touched on it as well. It's like the Raptors just have a bunch of long athletic players. Um, outside of Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., like everyone else is six seven or above and a crazy athlete. And the Sixers, for as talented as they may be in some spots. This is not an athletic team uh, outside of maybe like Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thibel, who will not play in games three and four. This is not an athletic team for as great as Joel Embiid is for as great as James Harden is. They are not tremendous athletes um, for as good as, you know, George Niang has been off the bench, not athletic. Danny Green is going to be a big part of this thing. Not athletic. Like it's just, you go up and down the list and it's a, it's a slow team. And that's a huge part of the issue. And another thing is, you know, perimeter defense has been an issue all season long uh, for the Sixers, whether it's, you know, Maxie's, you know, kind of being inconsistent as we Jackson touched on the fact he is, a, you know, he's a young guy and those ups and downs, those ebbs and flows are just the reality of a young guy playing for a championship caliber team in a huge role. And now going into the postseason, um, you know, Danny Green is just not, he is solely relying on instinct, uh, which is very good instinct, but he just doesn't have, the, the lateral quickness and the speed that he once had. We all know about James Harden, his struggles um, as a perimeter defender. So the issue with that is when they're beating that first line of defense, it's up to Joel Embiid to then, you know, greet those players at the rim. When that happens, the shot goes up, it goes off the rim. There's nobody to rebound because Joel Embiid has to help. So um, that's a huge issue. So I, I don't know what you can, if there is a way to mitigate that, maybe, you just kind of take almost a page out of Nick Nurse's book and just like get really super aggressive with pick and rolls and just like blitz stuff and try to force turnovers. And maybe that's a way to, you know, if you're going to get out rebounded anyway, maybe take some chances. Um, I don't know that Doc Rivers is going to do that. We know that Doc Rivers is a fairly rigid man and he's like, he does what he does a lot of times. So will he get creative? Will Dan Burke maybe kind of get, you know, and say like, Hey, if we're just going to get crushed on the offensive glass anyway, Let's just blitz the hell out of everything and try to get the ball out of their, you know, their some of their elite playmakers' hands. Um, and 
you know, and, and, and just try to force some turnovers. And the other thing I would say too, is um, I, I get that like Pascal, Pascal Siakam is a very good player. He, he's like, he's taken it to another level this year. Um, and, and he's proven that he can make, you know, if you're going to leave him open, he can make a three, but I, to me, he's much more dangerous when you allow him to get into the paint. He's got great touch. Um, from about like 10 feet in, he's so good at finishing. He draws fouls really well. I, I make him a three point shooter. Um, and, and I, same thing with Scotty Barnes. Um, he's capable, but I can live with him taking wide open, not wide open threes, but I can live with him taking threes as opposed to letting him get inside the, the restricted area and pulling Joel Embiid out of the paint and having him challenge shots. So I, I would make everybody not named Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. make everyone else in the lineup. Um, a three-point threat. Um, I take my chances that way. You're going to get beat sometimes in that regard. It's just the reality of it. But to me, I, I think that's the better option than letting Siakam and letting Scotty Barnes and letting all those guys live in the paint um, and, and just continually um, putting pressure on Joel Embiid and forcing him to do more defensively. Yeah, Paul, you, you mentioned trying to force the Raptors into turnovers. Another thing that works against the Sixers, the Raptors' best turnover differential in the NBA. So these little things that people might not pay attention to when it comes to the offensive rebounding, when it comes to turnovers, they're going to have a huge impact on this team. series, especially, <laughs> yeah, especially for a seven-game series. Uh, Jackson, you're looking at this for, from your perspective. We're talking about Joel Embiid, obviously going to be at least, we feel like, I, I think, across the board in the top two in MVP voting, maybe top three if you if you want to go Giannis and Jokic. Don't know how the voters are going to go on that, but that's a huge advantage for the Raptors in this one. When you're looking at this from a Sixers perspective, how are they going to be able to best get Joel to be in a position to dominate this series from beginning to end? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what you have to do mostly is I would play him a lot at the free throw line rather than the post. He's become so good there, and I think his passing outlets are he's – what, against length, like he can still trouble, struggle a little bit passing out of the post against length, um, much better than it was even two years ago. But um, the Raptors have a lot of length, as we've said a few times here. Uh, I think his passing outlets are easier from there. Obviously, that makes it a little easier for the doubles to come if you can send it from both wings rather than a baseline or a wing. Um, but especially in those games in Toronto, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have Danny, and it seems like they're probably gonna start Danny for this entire series just for continuity purposes. I think based on some of the comments Doc has has had out there. Um, you know you're going to have four threats, whether it's a shooter or attack. We know James Harden has historically not been very comfortable with a spot-up guy. It seems like he's more comfortable to make the extra swing pass or attack to that floater. But you have four threats to either take it from deep or attack off the catch, and that's a really big benefit. So if Joel can see those doubles coming, for you, as you can see him a little better, usually from the free throw line, um, really good at drawing fouls from there too, then I think you're in a good position. It's it's going to – I think Tyrus Maxey is going to be really important to ex exploit those kind of those pockets of space. Um you know, the downside of the Raptors being such a high turnover team is they allow a lot of back cuts and they allow a lot of pockets of space on defense. Or And so the Sixers off ball offense are going to have to be good. You're going to have to see a lot of Danny Green cuts along the baseline. You're going to have to see Tobias maybe cut a little more or relocate around the arc. Um, Maxi is – I don't really worry about Maxi. He's shown to be so good at using his speed to kind of get to those open spots. Harden is going to have to be a better off ball player. We know that's always been a thing with him. I'm not trying to be like, you know, because I don't want other people like, oh, like, we told you Sixers fan. No, I, I know that Harden is going to have to be better there. Um, and he's talked about it, that he's largely been ball dominant. And it is a little bit not in his nature to just take that catch and shoot three. But um, he's got to make good decisions off the catch. And, you know, whether that's taking the three or getting that float or getting to the rim, um, they're going to have to be really good because the Sixers are going to or the Raptors are going to throw a lot of 
a lot of attention at Joel, and rightfully so. Um, and there's been mixed results. You know, he was pretty solid in that last game. Um, the wheels fell off a little bit at the end. I think he missed maybe four or five of his last few shots. Um, was still pretty good uh, on that on offensively. He struggled, obviously, in the game a few weeks ago. Um, scoring the ball. I think some of it was defense. Some of it was he had maybe three or four shots for him out. Um, but he's going to have to be a good shot maker, but you're going to have to really exploit kind of the the Raptors being so aggressive defensively. So that's that's where I go, and I think Joel is is really well-equipped nowadays to handle that. Um, and so so we'll see what happens, but um, that's that's where it comes down to is how good can the Sixers be as an, as an off-ball team offensively because there's going to be opportunities to exploit that space because the, the Raptors are so aggressive, uh, you know, hunting the turnovers. Is that, I think that speaks to it, right? The fact that they're maybe what middle of the road or a little better in, in defense, but had the best turnover rate. So um, there are opportunities to be had and the Sixers are going to have to exploit them. And a lot of it's going to stem from Joel's passing and the off ball cutting and movement and, and shooting. Jackson, you're talking about James Harden. Paul, I want to ask you this right now. We're looking at Harden and it's been apparent I think throughout his time at Brooklyn during this season, especially more than than last year, although we did see him struggle in the playoffs with that hamstring injury. But looking at it now, going to have a week off at least in between. Are you anticipating him? And, and you're around the team a lot. You're at basically every single home game. Go to a bunch of the whenever they have at practice and, and shoot arounds. You're there. Is there anything that you're looking at that this rest might be a little bit more beneficial to him? And are you expecting him to be, again, not way back to 100% what we're used to seeing from Harden, but maybe at least getting close to it in terms of finishing better at the rim because we've seen him struggle with that. I believe he's in the bottom three uh, when it comes to field goal percentage shooting close to the basket. So when you're looking at that, how important is his health for the Sixers if they want to beat a Raptor squad again that people maybe have written off and looked at as a play-in team even up until two months ago, but are now firmly entrenched in the top five in the East? I don't want to be like too dramatic, but um, I think maybe James Harden's health is everything maybe um <laughs> potentially because if he's not healthy i don't know how you're gonna beat this raptors team quite frankly um i will say though I, I think there is evidence that when he has gotten rest it's benefited him i mean right before you know during the all-star break he took those two weeks off he was tremendous his first like handful of games for the sixers um and i don't think it's a coincidence that that is because he was had his time off um so I do think this this week is going to be huge for him. And I think, too, when you look at playoff scheduling, it is there are no back-to-backs, and it is more spaced out than, than the regular season. So that could benefit him. Now, that with that said, um, a week is not going to magically heal his hamstring, and he's probably still it's still going to nag him, I'm sure, um, throughout. So it's going to be really, you know, he's really going to have to manage that really, really well, and it, it's, it's probably not going to be easy for him uh, throughout the postseason. As you mentioned, Last season, it's a separate hamstring issue, but last season with the Nets in the postseason, he really tried to gut it out, and he just he just couldn't because he just wasn't the same player, and he knew that, and so we had to take a step back. I do want to say this because I think we've been like super doom and gloom about this series. And <laughs> I get why. I get it. I, I get. I totally get why. Um, the Sixers didn't exactly aren't exactly coming into the playoffs humming here, but I did see stretches in the Toronto game where Harden really did do really well kind of finding those holes in, in the Raptors' defense. It did pick them apart a little bit, and when the Sixers were making shots, it looked great. Um, and, and so I, I do have some optimism that compared to previous matchups we, we've seen where the Raptors really have stifled Joel Embiid and have really stifled the Sixers as a whole, I, I did see stretches of that game where James Harden was a difference maker where he it's like, okay, their offense actually doesn't look bad against the Raptors because 
Harden is making the right plays and the right reads. Um, and then towards the end of the game, as we've talked about, he just really struggled. He couldn't make a shot. He couldn't get to the rim. Just that burst just wasn't there. Um, and that was a huge, a huge issue late in that game. But again, I am encouraged by some of the things I've seen. We talked about Joel Embiid in the past and his struggles against the Raptors. Look, he also has two 30-point games this year against the Raptors. So that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, you know, and, and like you said, Jackson, I thought last game there were a couple shots that he makes all the time and they just rimmed out. And that is going to happen. But I think over the course of a seven-game series, the cream will rise to the top. And I think he's going to have more good games than bad games. Um, and I think looking like giving him the opportunity to look at that Raptors defense for an entire series and react to it, and he can make adjustments. I think that's going to be beneficial for him. I think it's going to help him because he can see, okay, here's where I maybe could have done this or I could have done that. And he can take that into the next game and improve upon it and, you know, things like that. So, um, Yes, James Harden's health, to answer your initial question, I think is really everything. Um, but as much as we've kind of pointed at all the things of why the Sixers maybe won't win this series, I think there are certain things we can look at um, to how they can win this series. And I think another thing that you said, Jackson, too, is what you saw in the second half was Maxi really using his speed and the attention that Embiid and Harden were getting. He found those holes late in that game. and brought. I think they got back within two at one point um, because he went on a little run there. So I think there are going to be opportunities for Maxi to kind of find those holes and make that work too. So yes, there are lots of reasons to have doubts and concerns, but I do think there are some flashes that you've seen to have some optimism that they can win this series. Yeah, Jackson, if I could just, if I could yeah, just play ahead. off a couple of those points, I would, I would also note that I, like I expect Harden to like at least have one monstrous game in the first three um, just because, like Paul said, he was so good those first three or four games after he had three weeks off or so. I mean, he's going to have about a week off here. Um, and that that makes it all the more important. The Sixers win those games when Harden play. Like, you know, when you like, like you look back to the Milwaukee game when Harden was sensational and you lose that, that's tough. And, I mean, that's the difference between us sitting here and talking about a Bulls, a Bulls preview or maybe the two seed versus, you know, a game like the Raptors. So you have to really take advantage of them because you can't rely on those being commonplace right now, right? Like, it's not to say that Harden's been bad. I should say big scoring performance. The, the passing's been awesome the entire time. And then also with that, I think they're better equipped, much better equipped to play the Raptors than they were pre-Harden because the Raptors, you know, they're going to front a ton on Joel with, with the pressure to chew at Kemberts and then shade help on the backside. If you're playing three shooters around James James and Joel, Harden's going to find them. He's been so good at kind of those perfect entry passes over the top to Joel. And then Joe gets the ball within four feet of the hoop against the Raptors' smaller front line he's going to either get fouled or probably finish it. So that's a bonus there too. So those are two things I wanted to touch on. I think just Harden's playmaking is going to be really important when they throw so much attention at Joel. Obviously like that's been a long seen issue is can we get the ball to Joel when teams crowd him? And then also like, and this isn't to say that like the players and the Raptors, the Raptors coaching staff can't adapt and adjust in a seven game series, but you give Joel and James time. You're like, that is really important. And I, I'm not saying that like, Leader Pascal Siakam are, are lesser players, but I think the best duo in this series is James Harden and Joel Embiid. Even though James has struggled at times, that's it. like you can say Pascal and Fred, they're great, but neither one's maybe be candidates. So that gives you a really good leg up. And for all of Harden's struggles, he made an all star game this year. He's still averaging 22, 10, and 8 on 58, 59% true shooting. He's a dang good player, even if he's been inconsistent at times. So those are the things I wanted to note on for sure. 
Yeah, Jackson, and, and to piggyback off that, as as Paul was saying, there are a bunch of avenues the Sixers can win this series. Obviously, the number one advantage they have is having a, a seven-foot monster who controls the game any, any way he wants. Joel Embiid can score 40 a game in this series, and I would not be surprised. But we're looking at Harden, as you mentioned, finished second in the league in, in assists. So we're sitting here talking doom and gloom about a 51-win team. Let's not, let's not forget that as well. Uh, but Jackson, you're looking at this. It's obvious they have Embiid. They have Harden, like you mentioned. To me, I, I agree with you on that. The two best players in this series, although you could probably go Siakam and Van Vliet as the next two. Um, I, I would also probably argue right now Siakam over Harden, just give him the stock. But I just meant like duo-wise, there are worse yeah. places to be than having the best duo in the series. Yeah, and those guys are are, are proven, you know, all NBA, all NBA talent. That's not taking any former MVP and potentially this year's MVP. This year's MVP, and you're not you're not taking anything away. We're not taking anything away from the Raptors when we say that. But looking at other avenues the Sixers might have to win this series, outside of Embiid, Harden, let's throw Maxi in that too because we know how important he is as the number three guy on Philly. But Jackson, who else do you look at as a potential X factor for the Sixers in this series? I think it's Tobias Harris' decision making. Um, is he gonna be? Is he gonna keep letting it fly from deep like he has for the last month? And if he does, is he gonna make him? Uh, because I'm sure all Sixers people remember. The Raptors and the Sixers played a few years ago when Tobias and the team was largely a, a catch-and-shoot three-point guy, and he missed a heck of a lot of good looks. Uh, I think namely two of 13 and maybe game four or game three. Game, uh, yeah, I want to say that was game... Game four, right? That was because that was when yeah, they, they, they could have gone, gone up 3-1. Yeah, and that, and yeah it completely changed the series. Yeah. Three, so um, can he make those shots? And when he does decide to attack off the catch, is he decisive? Is he getting to the rim? Is he not kind of meandering into those fadeaway post-ups that aren't really optimal plays? And then also, this is a much lesser X factor, but we're talking about offensive rebounding and rebounding in general. The Sixers back up five in this series, and Paul Reed happens to be a heck of a good offensive rebounder. And just rebounder in general, the way he gets off the ground, the way he tracks the ball off the off the, the glass is really, really impressive compared to a guy like Deanna Jordan, who, no disrespect, doesn't bring the same level of attention to detail on the glass or the same kind of vigor. Um, and it you could be, like be a bit disrespectful, Jackson. It's okay, DeAndre Jordan. I think <laughs> um, we all have been so, so far since he signed with the Sixers. <laughs> but just he is a very nice guy. Doc's, Doc's comments, it seems like when teams go small or have a small lineup, Paul Reed's going to play. And we saw Paul Reed play four days ago against the Raptors, and he was was up and down. Obviously, he played much better against lesser opponents and in the Pacers and you know the Pistons. So, um, but he's still a better option than DeAndre Jordan. So, in those eight, ten, twelve minutes on the floor. Can they survive? Can they survive on the glass? And I think you feel a lot better with Paul Reed out there, despite him being much smaller, just because he's a really good rebounder on both ends. Um, and so those would be kind of the two other things outside of the Sixers. Three, I would, you know, I, you can, you can, uh, whatever you want to say between Tobias and Tyrese. But beyond that, yeah, I'm looking at Tobias Harris' decision making off the catch uh, and results off the catch, and then. You know, can Paul Reed's offensive rebounding prowess and rebounding prowess in general stymie some of what? The Raptors do when he's out there for, for 10 to 12 minutes and you know, kind of, and if he fouls out, he fouls out. But there are, again, like I've said on the podcast recently, there are worse places to be when your guy goes out and gives, he works his tail off for 12 minutes and then he fouls out and you got to bring your MVP candidate center back in. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. All right, fellas, lots more to discuss. Let's do that after a short break. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, and we are back. Paul, a lot of the talk over the last week or so, even before we knew it would be the Sixers and Raptors facing off in round one, was around Matisse Thibault's status. He obviously wasn't was ineligible, quote unquote, to play in their last time that they, they took on the Raptors in Toronto. Uh, looks like he's not going to be eligible for games three and four. He's been steadfast on that. Although reports are uh, that he did take a shot last year during the playoffs. Hasn't he told gotten, us that. He yeah, he hasn't hasn't gotten yeah. a, hasn't gotten a second vaccine yet. Um, but taking himself out says his family wants to take a holistic approach to it. I'm not going to judge anybody for their decision not to or not to get. Uh, the vaccine, but looking at the on-court stuff, that's a big hole for the Sixers to fill. He's clearly their best perimeter defender, one of the most athletic guys they have out there. Although, again, on offense, you're basically going four on five, as we've talked about through the 82 games this season. But you're looking at this now, and Jackson, you you hinted at this a little bit earlier uh, when we were talking about Danny Green looking like he should be the starter all the way through just for continuity purposes because we know Matisse won't be there for games three and four. But you're looking at this now, Paul. How much of an effect do you think that's going to have on on the Sixers not having their best perimeter guy available for games three and four? And potentially, if it goes six or seven, at least three games in this series. Uh, Potentially huge, for sure. Um, When you look at the way the Raptors can hurt you, um, you know, beyond Siakam, who obviously Thibel, that's not a good matchup for him. That's not who you would you would have guarding Siakam, but um, you know, when you're talking about Fred Van Vliet, if you, as Jackson already talked about, if he's the guy he was in the first half of the season, I really have big concerns about Danny Greed guarding him. And I have even bigger concerns about Tyrese Maxey guarding him. I will say this actually, Maxey, um, Gary Trent Jr. Was excellent. The last game he had 30 points, but in the previous matchup, Tyrese Maxey actually was excellent on Gary Trent Jr. So, um, and he still had some good some some good flashes. Sure, Gary Trent. Times Gary two. Trent made some that last one. He made some really. It's to his credit. He made some really difficult shots. Um, he had a hell of a game. And um, like you said, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I don't think that Maxi was terrible in that game against them. Um, but I think overall, he's actually it's a decent matchup for him. It's a guy for whatever reason. Um, he seems to do well against. Um, but then that if that if that's the route you choose to go, then that leaves Danny Green on Fred Van Vliet. If Fred Van Vliet is, again, if he's the, the kind of borderline all-NBA guy he was to start the season and he's healthy, that's a really difficult matchup for Danny. Um, but I'll say that Danny, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, he's going on instincts, and his instincts are really – they're damn good uh, from being around and just being a really smart and savvy player. So um, in that regard, perhaps he can hold up against Van Vliet, but if I have the choice between – Danny Green or Matisse Thibel guarding him for large stretches of the game, please give me Matisse Thibel. Um, but um, kind of to Jackson's point as well, Danny Green in the starting lineup and that spacing and what that can do for James Harden and how that allows him to kind of help pick apart the defense, that's maybe that's worth sacrificing. And that's, you know, part of the reason why Doc Rivers is, and, and Doc Rivers did say, Part of it's continuity because he knows he's not going to have Matisse Seibel in those games, but part of it is spacing. And so maybe sacrificing that defense is because as good as 
Fred Van Vliet is. He's not the same player as Trey Young, so I don't expect that to be a repeat of the Atlanta series with Danny Green. But um, I, I, you know, there are certainly pros and cons to that. And my concern is if you're in a game three or a game four, and for and Van Vliet just happens to be on a heater and he's just having a big night, um, and he's just he's just smoking Danny Green. You don't have Matisse Stiebel that you can just throw on him. Like, where do you go is the concern for me. Um, you're not going to throw in Isaiah Joe out there. I mean, I might consider it, but I, Doc, we know Doc Rivers is not going to consider it. Um, so kind of where do you go from there? So that's, that, that is where, to me, like my biggest concern with Thibel is if it gets to a point where Van Vliet is that guy, is that borderline all-NBA player, where do you go if 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 Matisse Thibel isn't available and you have to go with Danny Green? That that's my biggest concern. Do you guys yeah. think we'll see we'll see some zone at all if 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 that's the case in games three and four? You think the Sixers is that no. a good option for him? No. <laughs> Without Matisse Thibel, I think the zone's a bad option. Personally, I, I think that's what makes the zone so. Uh, when it's been effective for them, it's Matisse at the top, kind of wreaking havoc and kind of playing that free safety role like he did at Washington. Without that, I I don't know that the zone is going to be all that effective. Personally. Yeah, and I was just gonna note too that, like, I, I've like people who follow me for a while now, like, know that I am not a huge proponent of Matisse as a starter, um, just because of the offensive concerns. And so for me, it's like it's less about like I think it's. T- I mean, obviously the Sixers shot red hot from deep in that last game against Toronto, but the offense looked pretty good. It was not the offense that was an issue. Um, to me, it's more kind of the ripple effect there, right? That like you have to go play someone else in Matisse's minutes now. Whether like unless they just go eight from the jump with with Shake. Paul Reed and George Yang off the bench, you have to go to an Isaiah Joe or Furkan Korkmaz. And like, I think Isaiah Joe is a pretty impressive defender, but he still can kind of get, he's still susceptible to like guys with size or strength. And Gary Trent Jr. and Fred really meet at least one of those criteria. Gary Trent kind of both. Fred is incredibly strong for a guard. So that's my issue there. But it's more the ripple effect, right? More than just like, oh, Matisse can't play because like Matisse, like he is really going to give your offense issues, especially against a team like, the Raptors all that length, like you play off of that, and then where do you, like you can really clog those passing lanes off of it. You can make it tough to find Matisse and dunker spot, things like that. So um, I don't really worry about the offense in the minutes that Danny Green's out there. I just worry about the general team performance when you have to maybe go to a ninth guy who's actually your and we know that wing depth is not a strength of this team. And so when you go to get two guys, you know, in Furkan Korkmaz or Isaiah Joe have been in the rotation for the last month, and I mean rightfully so for the most part. Um then, then it gets dicey. So um, I would love to see Isaiah Joe get a chance. I think he's like if the, if he can hit thirty seven percent of his jumpers, given kind of the quick trigger and the the versatile shot, that's pretty useful. He can get around screens well. He slides his feet. He's smart off the ball. Like like I I think Furkan will get the first crack, but I think that's that's a mistake. We just Furkan of November is not the Furkan of April anymore. So um, I think that I think Isaiah Joe would be a worthwhile shot. He's not Matisse Seibel defensively, but. You know, I tweeted yesterday. He, he ranks pretty pretty highly on the six rank on the Sixers list of best defenders, um, which is partially a testament to him, but also a bit of an indictment on where they stand outside of Matisse and, and, and Joe. But uh, yeah, I think that Fred VanVleet Gary Trent matchup is interesting. I think Maxi could do okay. I could think he'd do pretty solid on the ball against Fred, um, but off the ball, kind of away from the actions where a lot of Maxi's breakdowns happen um, when he has to kind of figure out everything. And Fred Williams is so good at kind of just smartly relocating to different spots and then shooting from 30 feet away. And then Gary Trent's also pretty good at that and also has the size advantage over over um, 
over Harris Maxson. And also we know Danny's off ball screen navigation and ability to kind of cover ground is not his strong suit. It's using that strength, that instinct, that understanding of angles, um, which are not really the most useful things against Fred and Gary, whereas it against Pascal. So I think we'll get some, some reps with Danny on Pascal, but that you can't do that all the time. It's a tough, a tough ask for Danny. So um, yeah, I, I don't really worry about the Sixers minutes when the starters are out there together. It's kind of about every other minute, which will be, you know, maybe half the, I don't know how much the starters play together, roughly maybe, you know, 20 minutes or so um, just you know, off the bat. I don't know if that's the correct number, but yeah, it's all those other minutes and how they fill a hole at wing. That is a very poor depth area for this team. Now, so, with, with all I, due I respect, just, real quick, I just want to just to piggyback off that. I, the one thought I had, and I don't know if Doc Rivers is going to get <laughs> this creative because that's not necessarily his thing. Um, but given Toronto and the way their roster is constructed, if you don't have Matisse Seibel for games three and four, I don't think it would be the craziest thing in the world to play Paul Reed next to Joel Embiid at the four and perhaps use Tobias Harris or George Yang at the three. Um, it's not ideal. It's not something you would want to go to. But here's the thing. We know Nick Nurse is going to, like, for lack of – he's going to do some funky shit because that's just what he does. Like, that's Nick Nurse. Like, that's what makes him so good at what he does. Like, he's not afraid to take chances. He's not afraid to try different things. He's really super creative and smart. So maybe you got to get a little funky and creative and and, and different back. And I, I like that. I think yeah. I think and and, and we're talking about rebounding. If you have Joel Embiid and Paul Reed on the floor, I think that could be pretty useful. Put Paul Reed in a dunker spot. Yeah, much better finisher, better there. size. Yeah, like right. that's the issue with Matisse. Right, is against length, he struggles to finish. Paul Reed, we've seen what he can do as a finisher: lie off the ground, can avoid, you know, adjust in midair, things like that. And it's a great, and it gives them some much needed athleticism. I, I think that's something you should absolutely try at the very least. I think, and like you're talking about, with all due respect to Isaiah Joe or for, like you, I agree with you. Like, there's no way Doc goes to, to Isaiah Joe. He's going to go to Corkmaz. But if my options are going to Corkmaz or going to Paul Reed at the four, I think Paul Reed at the four is a much, 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 much more viable option personally um, than putting out a, a, a guy in Furkan Corkmaz who, quite frankly, just hasn't had a good season. Uh, and you could see, like, even yesterday against the Pistons, like, that swagger that or whatever that is that he played with last year where he had some really good stretches, like, it ain't there right now. And I don't think he's magically going to find it in a playoff series. Now, now, fellas. Now, now, fellas. Let's be let's be honest here. Number one, sorry to cut you off there, Jackson. Furkan Korkmaz had a good game in mid-February, good game in mid-March, so maybe he's due for one in mid-April, so we don't know that. But, Jackson, you were going to say there about their rotations. Go ahead. I was just going to note that also, like, you know, the issue with trying to play Paul Reed more than 15 minutes is obviously the fouls, right? He's yeah. just – he's so active, and it's not really an issue when he doesn't – you know, you play in big minutes. But if he's not involved in so many primary rim protection sequences, whether it's pick and roll or help rotations, and that's Joel's job, you probably feel a little better about him, right? Like, you, if he's not – if he doesn't have to do that as often, maybe he can play – 19 minutes a night rather than 10 to 12. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's important too. And um, I think, and I don't obviously not having Matisse is not something that works in their favor. I'm not trying to frame it at, at, at all, but I do kind of wonder if Matisse kind of being in and out of like works to his favor, in and out of line works to his favor, right? If you if you can't kind of get his tendencies down so much, like that's kind of where he struggled last from the playoffs, right? That where there's a Bradley Beal or Trey on, they kind of got accustomed to everything he does. And so I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Matisse have like a couple of games where he looks like he did last year. I think he's still been good defensively this year, but not to the same level last year. And I think 
a lot of it stemmed from him having to be the primary perimeter defender without Ben Simmons in the lineup. So um, just something I'm spitballing. I'm not, not trying to like find like some, not trying to find some positive spin on this. Obviously, like you know what Matisse is doing is hurting the team a lot, regardless of how you feel about the actual decision. Um, obviously, <laughs> I strongly disagree with it, but um, yeah, I think that's just something that could maybe come to fruition. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm not trying to be like some ridiculous optimistic analyst here, but I do wonder if kind of not being able to get adjusted to him every every game uh, could allow him to maybe do some more stuff that we saw last year. But um, obviously the Sixers would prefer to have him out there every every game. But that's just one angle that maybe could arise, but I'm not guaranteeing or anything or trying to find it to be some great angle for them. Well, and, and, and we're looking at this, and you both have now touched on it, you know, as, as we've been talking for the last little while here about this series, is the coaching. And we know what Doc Rivers' limitations are. We've we've seen it now for a few seasons. We've seen it for 15 seasons, 10 seasons, whatever it is. If you look at his coaching resume, Nick Nurse versus Doc. How concerned are you about that matchup, Paul? And how much of a factor do you think the coaching decisions are going to have on the outcome of what everybody now, you're looking around the media landscape, you're, you're looking on social you know, social media and on Twitter, uh, you're this is going to be a close series. So how much do you think that the, the coaching matchup is going to play a factor in deciding who advances to round two? It has the potential to be pretty big, uh, quite frankly. Um, it's just Doc just is so rigid. And that's my biggest concern. And I think that's his biggest knock is that um, – and, you know, you saw it last night with, with his response to Derek Bodner, I thought was a perfectly legitimate question. Um and then Doc didn't see it as a perfectly legitimate question. And um, he came in really defensive about the idea of like, all, like wanting to shut down anybody saying Paul Reed is good. It was weird because he, he did compliment Paul Reed right off the bat, said he was tremendous. Then as, as the follow-up question came in, it was, he, he said he was shutting down the Paul Reed what, victory parade or however he worded it. And it was very strange the way he got just really defensive about, I, I don't know, maybe... Like, and uh, Dave Early touched on it for us, and he wrote an article about it. And he touched on maybe the fact that this is a, like he doesn't want it to get to Paul Reed's head a little bit, perhaps. Maybe that's the way you look at it. But I think he was just so defensive and, quite frankly, pretty condescending um, that I don't know that I want to take it that way. Um, so I just worry. We took we just talked about that 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 scenario, that idea of getting creative and maybe playing Paul Reed at a four. Doc didn't shut that notion down, but he didn't sound like he was super eager to do it. And it sounded like maybe that was a break glass in case of emergency and not something he would go to or actively look at. Um, so that's my biggest concern is that I think Nick Nurse is so good because he is so adaptable and because he does make adjustments and he does look at different things and he goes away from things that don't work very quickly if they don't. Um, and he sticks with things that do work. And I do worry that there could be lineups or players that Doc sticks with that. Like, I still have concerns about where George Niang fits in this series because um, he's been great for them all season long. He is really um, their, their highest quality reserve. He's their, been their most consistent bench player all season long. And I one worry most, that one of the most consistent players all year beyond yeah, Jamal, really. really. Him, him and Tyrese, right. that's, that's about the three. Right. So I have concerns that this is a very athletic Raptors team and he's not a very athletic player. And I think part of the reason Utah decided to move on from George is that he did have his struggles in the playoffs. 
So, I mean, granted, there's not really an alternative. So, like, if George Niang isn't very good, I you still kind of have to ride with him a little bit. But I just worry about lineup combinations. And I know, like, one thing that's been touched on, I've seen a lot of people make a note of it, is that lineups with Matisse Thibel and Danny Green have actually been very good. But Doc hasn't used them very often in the last two years. So it's just like little things like that where I think there's room for experimentation. There's room to try some different things that I worry that Nick Nurse will be will be willing to do that. And I don't know that Doc Rivers will be w- willing to do that. I think if we see a minute of DeAndre Jordan in this series, it's a mistake. Um, but I fear that we might see a, a minute or two of DeAndre Jordan. So um I don't want to like just pile on Doc here, but I just I have pretty large concerns um, about his stubbornness and his rigid, uh, rigidity with with lineups, with players, with rotations, and with and with certain things. Jackson, what's your take on on the coaching matchup? What are you looking for from Doc in in this series that you would look at look at it and say, hey, he did a good job to put his team in the best in the best situation to succeed in the, in in this matchup? Yeah, I don't have a ton to add. I think Paul summarized it pretty well. I think it's just like. One thing that Doc, and I'm not, not Paul saying that way, but one thing that Doc has done fairly well through his tenure is he's been willing to kind of shift around some bench options. Um, he hasn't, you know, he took Furkin out of the lineup. He's given Isaiah Joe a couple of chances, not as many as I think most people would say is warranted, but he's at least given him a little bit of chance, gave Paul Reed a chance um, finally. But um, what, what Paul's saying on is like, they don't don't feel like the lineups are always optimal. Like, you know, you, you look at it, um, it's, I mean, like, and I think, you know, we were talking about in the Slack recently, you know, they're going back to staggering a lot. Like they're not, you know, they're going back to staggering a little more with Joel and Harden as the last couple of weeks, the last week or so. But I I think it makes more sense like to stagger Joel and Tobias and Tyrese and and Harden. And we haven't really seen that. We've seen mostly Joel and Maxi and Harden and, and Harris, if anything. And we haven't seen that. So it's like, it's, even if he's a little more fluid in the rotations than maybe like all of us, myself included, give him credit for at times, it doesn't feel like there's as much meticulous like placement of those players in each lineup at times. So I'm sure he thinks through it, but it doesn't feel like the optimal rotations are always there. So basically kind of what, what Paul was saying, I don't have a ton else to add, but yeah, you just, you just worry about some of the, you know, the kind of the create, it's, it's good to be flexible. That's not really something that doc does a ton of, but you do worry about kind of the creativity with, in even the bounds of Doc Rivers' flexibility, it doesn't feel like there's it's it's that um, wide ranging, and that's an issue when you're playing against a team that is really creative and is kind of the antithesis of what the Sixers are, for better or for worse. All right, fellas, I'm going to put you on the spot. We spent 25 of the last 45 minutes talking doom and gloom about how we're worried for the Sixers, but ultimately, still a very good team, as I mentioned, won 51 games this season one game away from being the two seed and, and, and uh, you know, having a, maybe Brooklyn, maybe Cleveland or the three seed and taking on Chicago in the first round, but ultimately things settled and they're taking on, like we mentioned, a very good and a very deep Raptors team. Paul, we'll start with you. What is your prediction for this one? Who, who goes through to the second round and in how many games? Well, I don't feel good about it at all um, because I think it's coming seven games. And I think when it goes seven games, it's really almost impossible to predict that seventh game. But I am going to go with the Sixers. Um, I just, and I think it's some of the stuff we touched on earlier. When you're talking about Joel Embiid and James Harden um, over the course of a seven-game series, I believe the cream will rise to the top. I think that they will find ways to score. They will find ways to to beat the Raptors' defense here and there. It's not going to be pretty. Um, it's going to be grueling. 
and they're going to, it's going to be, I think both teams are going to kick each other's asses for seven games. And I think it's going to be um, at times probably not pretty to watch, like, quite frankly, um, because too, I think the Raptors, like the way they, they, it's almost like, like a pig and mud situation. Like they want you to play like them. And when you do, you tend to not, it tends to not work out well for you. So you have to play your game and, and not get caught up in, in what they want to do. So um, I think there's going to be some not great moments, but I think ultimately I, I do think they win it in, in seven games. Jackson. Sixers, uh, Sixers fans would love to watch a game seven against the Raptors again. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I'll go Sixers and six. Um, I, I think two of the, like, I think the Raptors are really good. I don't want to take anything away from them. Um, I do, th- I do think things like the offensive rebound and the, the constant, defensive playmaking and being so aggressive are something that you can kind of start to combat over the course of a series a little more. And I just worry about Fred Van Vliet. He's been really poor post all-star break. It's been a bummer. He was so good. He's at 48% true shooting, like 10 or 12 post all-star games, post all-star break games. That's really poor. They need, like, I know that they've won without OG and Fred a couple of times against the Sixers recently, but they need at least one, like they need Fred to be at least a top 40 ish guy. And he's been not that the defense has slipped as well, you know, post all-star break. So, um, those are the three things. And then, as Paul mentioned, like I just, I just think having that talented of a duo, even with Harden struggles as a scorer, um, just gives you a, a leg up. Um, and so, I think you're going to get at least one or two big Harden games to open the series. Um, you know, as much as uh, the lack of Matisse Thybulle does hurt your time, you're still going to get him for at least four games. I think if you can pair Harden with a Matisse, you know, you can get a couple of explosions from Matisse or not from, from Harden while Matisse is on the floor. That gives you a big advantage. So um, I'll go Sixers and six, but I think it, I can see it in one of those series where it's two, two, and then the Sixers rattle off a couple of wins and it's, it's still a great series, but maybe it doesn't go seven. Um, so that, that's how I feel on it. But I, 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 I don't, it's not a, a, a firm stance by any means. I could be, I could the the Raptors could win in five, and I would I would be a little surprised, but I wouldn't be like ah like ah, I, I had no idea what I was talking about. So six years and six, but that's a very tentative stance, and I'm sure as I continue to think about this more, I could change further in the Sixers' favor, less in the Sixers' favor. Maybe I end up having Toronto <laughs> by Friday, but for now, six years and six, I just think they have a little more upward mobility with with kind of how good they can be. Obviously, a more downward mobility as well, but I just kind of buy into them a little more um, than I do the the Raptors, just given the some of the things I mentioned, then, yeah, just you know, with the, the lack of trust or health of, of Fred and OG, which is a bummer. But so we'll see. But that's that's my stance for now. And OK, let's wrap up on this. Looking around the rest of the NBA, we'll just look at the Eastern Conference for now, which, as you mentioned, Paul, is going to be finally for the first time, I feel like in like 15, 20 years where it's like, damn, every Eastern Conference, the first round series is going to be entertaining. Let's start with the playing games. Just give me some quick predictions here. Nets, Cavs, I have a pretty strong feeling who we're going to go with. Who are you guys taking in, in that one? Paul, we'll start with you. Yeah, I like the Nets. Um, just too much firepower. And Cle- it's a shame Cleveland's had such a good season. They're such a fun story. But their health um, with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley to end the season, I just I don't see a path um, to them beating the Nets. I think there's just too much firepower there. Jackson? Yeah, I'll go Nets as well. I think it's going to be a good game, though, honestly. Um, I think Jared Allen might be expected back. And Evan Mobley came back for the last couple of games. That's huge. Um, the Cavs for all their injuries have been pretty damn good when they get Mobley, Garland, and Allen out there. And if they have those three, you got to feel good. So I think it'll be a good game if we can, can get Jared Allen. But um, the Nets have been kind of a, very much a classic flip-the-switch team at times this year and even last year. So 
I think you'll see them be pretty locked in defensively. Kyrie and KD as shot makers, um, pretty great. You've seen role players like Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton find their find their legs as of late. So I'll go uh, go Nets, but I do think it's gonna be a really good game, and I'm I'm excited to to see it. I just hope we get to see the Cavs big three because I think, as I said, they've been really really good when those three play together. Um, not so much when one of them is missing, but it seems like maybe we'll get all three of them, which would make for a very very fun game. Now, assuming Brooklyn does does go through, we got Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte. Who do you think takes the eight seed in the, in the East? Jackson? Although Cleveland, I, I, it seems like Jared Allen's trending upward. I think he traveled on their last road trip, which is always a good sign when a guy's coming back from injury and starts to travel. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of those teams may. I mean, Charlotte's been pretty good as of late, despite the drubbing at the hands of the Sixers recently. Uh, Atlanta's been really good as well. Um, I think they won maybe four or five to close the year. The Hornets obviously had a nice little winning streak there. So, um, although Cleveland, I just think they're the best team if their big three's healthy. But, um, you know, it, it is a tough spot to put Jared Allen. And not put, it is a tough spot for Jared Allen to be in, excuse me, because um, I'm sure he wants to play. Um, just kind of coming back in his first, not his first, but, you know, first playoff appearance with the Cavs. Paul? I actually lean Hawks. Um, and I think it's kind of what you just touched on, Jackson. I think I like the Hawks with the playoff experience. Um, last year, making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, clearly, they're not the same team, and um, they're pretty banged up as well. No John Collins, um, and you know Bogdanovich has been really banged up all year long. Um, but I, I just think with Trey Young, um, I, I think they take care of business. I mean, they've been very Jekyll and Hyde. Um, like you said, they did close the year on a pretty on a pretty strong note. But um, I think they take care of business with Charlotte, and then I think that experience um, will be a factor against Cleveland. And I think I think um, they'll 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 take care of business there. And I think they'll wind up being the A seed. Jackson, what about Milwaukee and, and Chicago? I, again, I have a pretty strong feeling with, with who we're going to go with in this one. Yeah. Milwaukee in four or five. Um, it's a bummer that both had such a good start to the year. And then it just kind of seemed like the wheels fell off with all the injuries they had to endure. But um, I think the Bulls could get one game. They have two bona fide great scorers and in, in DeMar DeRozan and, and Zach Levine. But um, I just trust the Bucks. I think you're going to see them really kind of kick it into high gear, but um, I don't think that should take away anything from a nice year from the Bulls. That in, they could also parlay another, another good year next year with more health. But yeah, I think the Bucks. Bucks, I think, are my my pick in the East right now. So I got to go with them in a fairly convincing fashion against a team that's just the wheels have fallen off the last month or so, unfortunately. Paul, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, the Bucks just they don't. I mean, they were the defending champs, and they really don't look any worse for the wear. I mean, now especially once they got Brooke Lopez back, um, they look like a really damn good basketball team and the bulls, like you said, like they're, they're leaking oil. And uh, again, I, I just, I think playoff experience really is a big factor. Um, it didn't work out that way for the Sixers last year against the Hawks, but um, I, I think just the bulls just don't have that as a collective unit. They really just don't have that. The injuries um, definitely caught up to them. And I just, I, I, I have a hard time seeing them win more than one game. If, if they win any at all. Yeah, huge size advantage for Milwaukee too. I think. Yes. They, and I mean, they're not even a huge team outside of Brooklyn, honest, but the Bulls are, are quite small as we saw against the Sixers yeah. this year. And I think they, I don't know if the the Bulls got split by the Bucks this year, but it was at least three one. I think in a lot of not great too. close games. Yeah. Depth too. Yeah. I think Milwaukee's just such a deeper team. And and the Bulls, like you mentioned, Jackson, have been a success story all the way through. You know, considering where that franchise has been throughout the better part of the last twenty years, other than that Derrick Rose era. You know, for them to get back here, obviously still missing Lonzo Ball. Um, and if he was there, you know, maybe taking another game, but I'm with you guys. I think the Bucs win that series pretty easily. Uh, let's wrap up on this. We know that a lot of Sixers fans want to see this player do well. Ben Simmons might be back in the lineup for maybe game one and two, maybe games three and four. We don't know yet, but trending that way from the latest reports. 
on his health, likely not going to be playing 30 minutes a night. Just don't see that happening conditioning wise. But assuming that the Nets do win, and that's not a guarantee at all, as you mentioned, Jackson and, and Paul, you said that too. The Cavs are a pretty good team when they got their big three. But assuming Brooklyn does advance and we see Brooklyn take on Boston, which I think is, is going to be the best of the first round series, uh, even across both conferences. Paul, how do you think that shakes out? And 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 who do you think wins out of that series? Assuming, again, the Nets are at full health and and even if they get Ben for, for 10, 15 minutes a game a couple times, like how do you think that one shakes out? Yeah, that's going to be so fun. <laughs> um, that's going to be a really entertaining series. Um, I, I would take Boston still just because they're playing – so phenomenally um, to close the season out. Um, and they're so good defensively, like I said, but they still have plenty of offense to go along with that defense. Ben Simmons is a factor because you know what? He's done really well against Jason Tatum um, through his career. So, um, but I also, it, it's such a big ask at the same time for Ben with a back injury to go into you know, go into Boston game one. Hey, go guard Jason Tatum. Like that's, that is an enormous, enormous ask. Um, so I lean Boston, but yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a hell of a series. It, you can't discount Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and what they can do. And plus I'm sure Kyrie Irving um, in Boston, like that's, that's going to be fun. Um, and we've seen kind of like you said, Jackson, like they're, they already flipped the switch team. We saw what they did to the Sixers when they decided to flip the switch in that game um, and, and really had it. So if they really have that extra juice against Boston, um, it's going to make for a hell of a series. But I do think ultimately uh, Boston's just been so good down the stretch and they're so good defensively that I think they ultimately want to win in the series. Jackson, what about you? Yeah, heck of a heck of a atmosphere for Ben Simmons to return, right? Hey, Ben, I haven't played for ten months. Now you get to go play against the best defensive <laughs> team in basketball. We know that some of your playoff struggles offensively are well documented. Congrats. Um, but but yeah, I I I mean, it's I think that I, I think the Nets are a really good team. Honestly, like I, I don't know if that's like a some weird take, but um, I think they're really good. But I don't love the matchup for um, for them. I just think that the Celtics are so good at switching. They're so crisp, but like. Some of those pockets of space they exploit when teams throw a bunch of attention at Katie and Kyrie. And then you find Bruce Brown, Nick Clacton, uh, Seth Curry. I think they're pretty good at closing that down. Obviously, Lester without Robert Williams. But um, I think I'd go Boston in five or six. But I think I could see it being a lot of, this probably sounds cliche, but a lot of games that are coming down the last five, six minutes. Um, you could probably get one or two blowouts in there. They both have enough shooting that sometimes just variance takes over. But I just, I like this matchup for Boston defensively. Um, I'd love it if they were able to have Robert Williams be that roamer that he's been for the last two thirds of the year. I think he, uh, no one's going to like really slow KD, um, but I think if you were if you were able to like send Robert Williams that late help off of a Bruce Brown or Nick Claxton, you could really kind of bother some of what KD does. Much less likely without him, but I just like Boston's defense. Um, I think they've you know the Nets switch a ton of stuff, and the Celtics like to exploit switching. Whether it's posting up Marcus Smart, getting him as a screener, you know, chasing Tatum, posting up, or getting into his jumper over smaller guys, Jalen Brown is a cutter. So, um, I like the, I like those matchups for for them. And I just I think also you know talk about coaching. I think you know Ime Udoka has proven to be a little more. I mean, I think Nash has done well in some regards, but I think I have more confidence in Ime even if it's his first go round as a lead guy. But he's he's never been the, the decision maker. Uh, but he's been in, he was on the, on the Nets last year. He was with the Sixers, with the Spurs for a while. Like he's been in playoff runs, so um, I think that's an advantage too. So I'll go Boston in five or six, but I expect it to be a really good series, and that could that that could change depending on what Ben Simmons looks like if he comes back. And I would 
I would welcome him coming back for all of his foibles in the, in, you know, in general, he is a, is a player. Um, he's a damn good defender and a really fun player to watch. So um, I think that would be a really cool angle and you know, hopefully he's able to return to full health over the next week or so or five days. All right. One more, one more for you guys. Just, just quick answers here. Western conference. We're not going to get into depth into every series, but who do you have in the Western conference finals, Paul? I still love the Suns. Um, what they do in late game situations. Um, I don't know that anyone does it better in the NBA. And so I like if we had a finals rematch, I would not be remotely surprised. I think both of those teams are still very, very good. And again, very, very good in closing situations. So, yeah, I mean, I have, a, you know, I, to me, it's like the sun. Like, I, I don't know who is capable of knocking off the suns. I just think they're just so good. And like the Warriors, you know, they have that experience uh, clearly. And if they're healthy, you know, Clay Thompson put up 41 points. Maybe he's finding it a little bit and that that would obviously be monumental for them but i i just i, I have a hard time like i, I i'm a, i guess like until someone knocks off the suns i have a hard time betting against them in the western conference jackson damn we didn't we didn't give a chance to to advocate for the hawks or the the heat over the over or the hawks or the Cavs. <laughs> the we don't know yet we'll do that we'll do that we'll do that on friday or saturday we'll do that we're not going to get that eight seed yet yeah, no, I, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got Suns Warriors. I, I know the Warriors are, are dinged up. Um, I think if, I mean, I think if Steph comes back, I just think you know Clay has been a different but also very good version of himself since returning. Um, Draymond's been a little less optimal since he came back about a month ago from his back injury, unfortunately. But um, you know, he's a guy that I think has proven to be still really great in the playoffs. Um, I just, I think that, and Jordan Poole's been absolutely sensational for about a month and a half now. It was good all year, but really turns it up you know, kind of post all-star break. So um, that's a really tough, you know, force them to beat. Um, and so I think if they can kind of get the, the, that back, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you see Memphis or you even see Den- even Denver, I mean, you got a guy like Jokic out there. Um, I, I do think Denver versus the Nuggets or Denver versus the Warriors without Steph is a pretty tough matchup for Golden State, but um, I, it's, you know, I, th- I think we're supposed to get an update on Steph today, actually. Um, so Maybe look out, look out for that. I have to amend my, my prediction one or the other. Um, but I'll go I'll go Suns Warriors, and I don't really have a take from there. We haven't seen either of these teams play in a while, and we haven't seen either. We, none of their games came with the Warriors big three all available. You know, Steph was out recently. Clay was out for in their first few games. I think Draymond missed a game, so um, we'll see. But I don't, I don't want to give a prediction from there. But I my, my, my bet right now would be those two meet in the Western Conference Finals, and hopefully we get a great great series. Which I anticipate we would if Steph was around. Yeah, they're saying that staff, they're going to evaluate him this week, probably closer to Saturday. We'll get to know if he's going to play. And, and as you mentioned, they're big three for the Warriors with Draymond, Steph, and, and, and Clay. Only played 11 minutes total this season. So going to be interesting to see. I mean, those guys have so much you know, time that they've been on the court together. I don't think chemistry will be an issue there. Uh, let's wrap things up. Jackson, thank you for joining us. Paul, Mr. Paul, always, I'm sorry, I have to make sure I get that right. Uh, we're going to be doing this at least, you know, a couple of times a week throughout the playoffs. Hoping to see a good one. The Sixers taking on the Raptors game one goes at six on Saturday. So look out for that. And as I mentioned, Jackson, Paul, will have you covered a lot on the written side of things. We'll also have you covered on the Liberty Ballers podcast network. Don't forget, subscribe either through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. And of course, always appreciate a five-star review. That'll do it for this episode. Can't wait for things to get going. And make sure, again, as you follow Liberty Ballers throughout the entire playoff run here for the Sixers, which gets going again Saturday at six against the Raptors in game one.